The Pacers win again. That's four out of five, and that is, yes, your over 500 Indiana Pacers. They're seven and six. They have a winning record for the first time since February of 2021. We'll talk about all that, plus a report. A new L.A. team wants Miles Turner. The Clippers. We'll talk about all that and more on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI. And today, we are coming at you with your first podcast about the Pacers with a winning record since February of 2021, two months away from two full years since this moment for the Pacers, who are rolling right now. They've won four or five. They win again in Charlotte, 125-113, off of a super impressive close to the game. We'll break down all that, who played well, how they got it done. We'll talk about the Pacers. Maybe being good. Seven and six, a surprising start, but they keep winning. They keep showing people how good they are. And to close out, Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report reports the Clippers are injured. Miles Turner. Does that make any sense? What does it mean? Of course, we'll dive in to all that. But we got to start with the games as we always do. And what a fun one it was. Pacers get it done on the road in Charlotte, 125, 113, a team they have struggled against the last couple years. And they get it done. And this game was so interesting because it was. Such a close game for not the reasons games are typically close. The, the the Hornets jump out to a 6-0 lead, and then the Pacers are up 12-6, and the Hornets are up 15-12. You know, it was such a game of runs, and it wasn't just limited to the first quarter, right? It was tied at the end of the first quarter at 27. It was 63-60 to at halftime, so a three-point game. It was 90-90 after three quarters, right? Like, all these back-and-forth moments kept happening over and over and over again. But it was still a close game the whole time. Outside of a little Charlotte run in the middle of the second quarter that the Pacers erased by the 10-minute mark of the third, this game was just back and forth and back and forth. 17 lead changes. So the perfect definition of, one, a game of runs, and two, a back-and-forth battle. But the Pacers were the ones that made this happen. So tied after the third quarter, a really, you know, outside of a Buddy Heald run to close the half. He had a personal 5-0 run and then an 8-0 run if you count the first bucket of the second half to tie this game up and save the Pacers. Really not anything super standout-ish about the first three quarters of this game besides Miles Turner to me, who was awesome again in this game. He was maybe the best Pacer in that span. So let's, I want to dive right into the fourth quarter because Benedict Matherin did it again, twice in the same game. He keeps the Pacers in as a start the fourth. The Pacers are losing at times early in this quarter. Their defense looks awful with these bench units. It looked awful to start the second quarter when Matherin had 10 points in a short span as well. He kept him in at 10 points in just over three minutes, and the Pacers are right there, down by two with five minutes to go. Remember that. The Pacers are losing this game to the Charlotte Hornets with five minutes to go. Jalen Smith checks in about this time, and they're down by two. And Jalen Smith has had an eh game, I would say. Good defensive game, good game on the glass. Really, really off offensive game. But nothing, no one would say Jalen Smith had a good game at this stage. And then Jalen Smith did everything for the Pacers, right? Buddy Heald misses a three. Jalen Smith gets an offensive board. Put back layup. Bang, he scores. Then he plays good defense around the basket. Terry Rozier misses a layup on the other end. Jalen Smith draws a foul on P.J. Washington. Two free throws. Pacers take the lead, and they never looked back. Jalen Smith did a fantastic job in those instances. He checked out, or excuse me, he checked into the game with 5.56 to go. 
Pacers were losing by two. He checked out at the 126 mark of the fourth quarter. They were up 11. So he was plus 13 in under five minutes. Four points, two boards in that stretch, and some impressive defense. So he was a really big game changer right after Matherin. He was huge to close. And the Pacers' offense in general, after going back and forth all the time, finally said, screw this, we're just going to score and score and score. So from the five-minute mark onward, here are their possessions. Jalen Smith scores a putback. Jalen Smith scores two free throws. Andrew Nembard scores a layup. Miles Turner hits two free throws. Miles Turner dunks. You'll notice I haven't said anyone missed yet. <laughs> Tyrese Halliburton hits a three, right? They just kept rolling and rolling. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton hits a layup. Andrew Nembard hits a layup. Now they're up by 11 with 126 to go. They have not missed a single shot since Buddy Heald missed at the 504 mark. They kept scoring, they kept getting rebounds, and they finally got some stops to get themselves up 11. They just absolutely dominated. They did eventually see one not go in down the stretch of this game, but they were just perfect. I, I cannot stress this perfect on offense for the last five minutes of this game. Fantastic clutch games for the Pacers. They ride it out, get it done down the stretch. So in a game with 17 lead changes, total game of runs, back and forth battle, the Pacers at the end of the game said, screw this, we're just going to get it effing done. And it all started with Jalen Smith being an enforcer. So huge credit to him for not, you know, after, right, not a great game to to start, right? In the first half, uh, Smith, I, I can't remember his exact points in the box score decided not, uh, Smith at halftime was one for six with three points and four rebounds. And then in the third quarter, had four points and one rebound. So he did most of his damage in the fourth quarter. He had 11 and seven. It was a plus 12 in this game, plus 13 in the last five minutes, right? So all of his impact came, mostly at least, in this one stretch where he was awesome, awesome, awesome. Big credit to him for setting the tone there and the rest of the Pacers followed suit and stepped up and they get it done. They got a win. They were huge in the moments when it mattered to be huge and they just got it effing done. Impressive win again for the Pacers, who have won four or five. Their only loss in November, they were up 18 in the second half before giving it up to Denver. They were that close to being 5-0 and in a month where they have played only play-in teams. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about the Pacers' record, how good they're playing, all that sort of stuff in the second segment. But this team just looks fantastic right now, and they did a great job against the Hornets team that looked like they were solving the Pacers for a while to really put their stamp on the game and get it done. Like their offense looks fantastic. It has for several games in a row now. So some shout out guys from this game who played very well. Miles Turner, another double-double, 20 points, 10 rebounds, three assists, three blocks. Perhaps the best stretch of his career he is in right now. Let's talk about Miles Turner since his dud game in Brooklyn. Halloween, terrible Miles Turner game. Maybe the worst game he's had in a couple seasons. Since then, Five games played, conveniently all in November, so it works out to do month splits. 21.2 points per game, 10.0 rebounds, 2.8 blocks, 62.5% shooting, 44.4% from three. Insanely good there. Plus 27 with him on the floor in those five games, so he's basically a little like him starting on the floor in the stretch has been the Pacers start out up 5-0, right? Like that, that is awesome, and he's also playing well on defense. One of the best stretches of his career. He did it again in this game, six free throw attempts. He continues to be wonderful around the basket, seven of 10 from the field. Tyrese Halliburton is Tyrese Halliburton, 20 and 10 in his sleep at this point, leading the league in assists, 11 of them in this one, nine for 15. Uh, what what ankle injury was that? <laughs> he did not show any signs of that. Uh, of course, Jalen Smith, who I talked about, was good. And let's talk about Benedict Matherin's game. This, this, he, he had one of the most absurd games that's going to look pedestrian in the stat sheet. So Matherin finishes with 20 points, 7 of 13 from the field, 5 of 6 from the foul line, 3 rebounds. That's a good stat line. Like, that's a good game, especially for a rookie. It's how he did it that stood out so much in this game. 
He scored his first 10 points. Benedict Matherin scored in the first three minutes and 24 seconds of the second quarter. Pacers defense looked miserable in this stretch, right? This is right before the Hornets went on their best run of the game. But Matherin was the only thing keeping the Pacers alive. 10 points in a 324 stretch. Remember that. So then the fourth quarter starts. Same deal. Pacers defense, their all-bench unit, wasn't looking so good. But Matherin kept a minute with 10 points in 3 minutes and 13 seconds. So that means Matherin scored 20 points in this game. And it happened in 6 minutes and 37 seconds of playing time. When he was feeling it, he was on fire. He was completely keeping the Pacers in it when their defense was miserable. And a lot of people kept asking why he wasn't in it late. I had the same questions because he was absolutely on fire in that stretch. But I also understand that the bench units he was a part of were miserable on defense. He was a minus 13 in this game. Nobody else in the Pacers was worse than minus 3. And so when the Pacers were losing in this mid-fourth quarter, mid-second quarter stretch, uh, Rick Carlisle turned to Aaron Neesmith for some defensive moments on the mellow ball. Even though Neesmith didn't shoot well, he did defend pretty well and then the group he went with with about five minutes to go did awesome and it didn't make sense to sub at that point because the, that group was killing it so yes it, it it seems very weird I agree I thought he should have come back in a few times in the fourth quarter at the same time he can't argue with the results of the lineup but he was still fantastic and that's what it took tonight those three guys Matherin, Halliburton and Turner all stepping up in key moments with a ton of other guys stepping up when it mattered and there you go. The Pacers are 7-6. and six. Remember last time they played the Hornets? They gave up 158 at home, and they avenged that this time. So there it is, Pacers. Let's talk about this. 7-6. and six. Are they actually good? I mean, yes, clearly a 7-6 and six team is good, but how good are they? Can they sustain this? And let's contextualize this Pacers team being over 500. Can you believe it? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't you sometimes wish life came with a user manual? Someone to give you the perfect advice, something to tell you exactly what to do so you can just know without having to figure it out on the way. Unfortunately, life doesn't have a user manual. So when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel unsure, whether it's a career change, new relationship, becoming a parent, whatever it is. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient and accessible anywhere, 100% online. There's so many great benefits. You can learn coping skills, deal with trauma, self-empowerment. If you, if, you know, Therapy can be helpful for anyone. Uh, and so, as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists. Available 100% online, and it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with the therapists. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It could not be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Locked on NBA. Go try it today at betterhelp.com. Welcome back into Locked on Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Obviously, go check out Locked on Hornets. Walker Mel, Doug Branton, kill it. Covering that Charlotte team. What a tough night. And, man, LaMelo Ball getting hurt again late by landing on a fan's foot is just brutal luck for that franchise. Those two will take you through all of that over at Locked on Hornets. Let's talk about contextualizing the Pacers' record and ask a big question. Are they actually good? I think that it's clear that they kind of are good, right? They're 7-6. and six. Their net rating is above average right now. We'll dive into all that in the later half of this segment. But I want to first contextualize their record. The Pacers are 7-6, and six, which doesn't sound awesome because it's just okay. But they are over 500 for the first 
time since February 17th, 2021. That's not that long ago, but for how much it has happened to this Pacers franchise since then, an entire coaching change, a roster makeover, complete roster makeover. Their stadium name is different. It used to be Banker's Life at that time. Now it's Gamebridge, right? So much has changed for this group. And especially because that was in the heart of the pandemic, it has just felt like such a long time. Pacers are back to that point for the first time since. They're over 500. They have a winning record. It's very strange to say that. Let's go back to that game. They beat the Minnesota Timberwolves in overtime. <laughs> the 7-22 and Timberwolves, the Pacers had to go to overtime to beat to go to 15-14 and at that time. Uh, this was after they had traded Oladipo, but Lavert was not available to play at. So the Pacers played eight guys in that game. Nate Bjorkren's rotation was Sabonis, Brogdon, Justin Holiday, Miles Turner, Doug McDermott, Jeremy Lamb, TJ McConnell, and Aaron Holiday. Uh, you'll note that only two of the eight players in that rotation, this is a year and nine months ago, are still with the Pacers, right? They have completely changed their team from then. Of the 12 active players for the Pacers that night, only three of them are still with the Pacers, right? Goga Batadze was active and didn't play, and then Keelan Martin, Jakar Sampson, and Edmund Sumner, the other three, Martin and Sampson, now out of the league, right? So a lot has changed in the time since this game, but that was it. That was the last time the Pacers won. I thought it was, you know, the Pacers stadium name change happened in last September. That's not that long ago, but it still just sounds crazy to say that their old stadium <laughs> was when this happened. Um, so they are playing, Pacers are over 500 and playing very well right now. Very well. They In the month of November, 4-1. and one, And like I said in the first segment, all of the games are against play-in or better teams from last year. Charlotte barely squeaking in, but Denver was firmly a playoff team last year. Miami made the conference finals last year. The Pelicans pushed the Suns to six games last year and looked pretty good this year. And, of course, the Raptors were good last year and look good this year. There's obviously some injury context required, but it doesn't matter what injury context you have when they beat the healthy teams like New Orleans. They almost beat the healthy teams like Denver. And then with LaMelo Ball playing, they still beat the Hornets, right? Like, they, they, they are overcoming the challenges in front of them to a point that you just throw out the context and say, they're playing very well. And this stretch in November, even going back before that, right? They beat the Wizards and the Nets before a loss to the Nets. Like, they've technically won six out of eight. <laughs> they've been good for quite a while. Basically, since getting their stuff pushed in in Chicago, they've been a pretty dang good basketball team. And they continue to win and they continue to impress everyone with how they're doing it. And by the way, some easier games coming. Houston, uh, worst defense in the league on Friday. They can score too. We'll talk about the Pacers net ratings in a second, but the worst defense in the league coming Friday. And then a tough travel back to back at home, sure, with Orlando Saturday, but the Magic aren't particularly great. And then they get the Magic again with no travel on Monday in Indy again. I mean, winning two out of those three gets them to nine and seven like that no one had the Pacers having a chance to win their 10th game before they lose and they have a tough schedule coming after that stretch but right now they look extremely solid before the real test comes we'll discuss that and their schedule next week so how good are the Pacers right is their record really indicative of the team they are obviously I think your record is who you are Pacers are you know doing excellent in fourth quarters game after game they figure something out as the game goes on they have two studs on offense in Halliburton and Matherin who, you know, Halliburton's best skill, excuse me, Matherin's one of his best skills as a rookie is his ability to read a defense and adjust, especially off the ball as he, you know, before the catch, he can read how he can adjust to be a better scorer and a better player, right? That's one of the best qualities he has. Oh, many great ones. He's shooting well and drawing fouls at a crazy rate. 
not to belittle that, but that's something he does very well, which allows him to adjust to opponents and in-game. And then Tyrese Halliburton, also a brilliant reader of the game. TJ McConnell as well. The guys who have the ball for the Pacers a lot can really read the game and see what's happening. So as the game progresses, they can kind of understand how they can overcome the challenges or how they can overcome the adjustments from the other team and put the Pacers in a place to succeed. They also have a lot of roster cohesion this year, right? Miles Turner's in a good role for him right now. Buddy Heald's in maybe the best optimized role he's been in in a long time in his career, right? You could go on and on. Jalen Smith's actually getting minutes. Aaron Neesmith's getting minutes. O'Shea Brissett's back in the rotation and, and doing some stuff. He had another good game against Hornets, right? Like everything right now, right now, to be clear, is clicking. And that is, it looks very good. And they're able to, you know, come back from big deficits and play well against good teams because they have bright offensive talent. So looking just at net rating, points per 100 possessions scored, minus points per 100 possessions allowed. Pacers are 13th in the league right now. 0.9 net rating. Right ahead of the Atlanta Hawks, right ahead of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Only 15 teams have a positive net rating, right? That is impressive. That is impressive. But here's why their record's probably going to be pretty volatile. They're seventh in offense right now, which is great. Like, that is very good with, you know, one of the better true shooting percentages in the league. They're sixth in true shooting percentage and effective field goal percentage. They're making their shots. They're making their free throws. But they also have a lot of young team stuff, right? 25th in turnover rate. That's something that good teams can overcome. They're not particularly awesome uh, on the offensive glass, right? They don't, or excuse me, the defensive glass. They don't dominate the possession game. And the other part of this volatility is they're 26th in defensive rating. Only four teams have a worse defensive rating. That would be the Sacramento Kings, the San Antonio Spurs, the Houston Rockets, and the Detroit Pistons. The latter three teams being the three worst teams in the NBA right now. So there is a lot of volatility there to give up big nights from other teams. They have improved defensively since getting Miles back and as the season has progressed, and they're still in the bottom five. So I think their record is indicative of who they are. They have a positive net rating. They look like a good team. They have offensive weapons that are hard to guard. You can't give too much attention to Halliburton because Buddy Heald will beat you. Miles Turner will beat you. Benedict Matherin will beat you. That's not possible for teams right now. Same thing with Matherin. Too much attention on him. Someone else beats you. Like They have enough weapons to not be like as easy to scheme as they were sometimes last year when you cut the Sabonis valve off or you turn off Levert's water and there's no way for the Pacers to score. They have consistent offensive output. They've got it all year. They've got shooters. They've got athleticism. Yeah, they're good. The Pacers are a good team. Will it hold for the whole season? That's the big question. The young players can be volatile. Their defense absolutely stinks. So if their offense takes a slight step back or teams figure something out, that could really hurt them because there's a snowball effect of them being such a good transition team. I don't think they will finish the season over 500, but certainly looking like they're much better than the expectations put on them before the season started. And right now with the roster they have, yeah, they're, they're in the playoff spots in the East right now, and they look good. How long will this last? I have no idea. I think it will end at some point. One, because they're a young team, and I think young teams in general taper off as the season progresses, although they will have fresh legs for a long time. But two, the big one, they will likely be a team that makes some deals this season unless they are miles over expectations. Pun not intended at all. Um, <laughs> by the time trade deadline season rolls around. So the Pacers are clearly good. They're 7-6. and six. They could be 10-win, 9-win team uh, by the time Thanksgiving comes, which is extremely impressive. They have been Really good to start this season, and I think it will hold for a while. I think they'll be in the play-in hunt for most of the season, if not all of it, but I'm not sure they can maintain this level of above 500 play all season because of the volatility that comes with the way they play and the team they have. That said, though, Pacers are good. They are much better than people thought, and that's impressive. Speaking of trades that will eventually impact how good they are, by the way, uh, 
The Clippers reportedly interested in Miles Turner Bleacher Report reports. Eric Pincus reports. I've never said Bleacher Report reports before. That sounds odd. Uh, I want to talk about that, what it could mean, what the Clippers can even offer. Does this make any sense? Coming up to close out today's show. But first, guys, let me talk to you about Sweatblock, a product I use every single day. And let me read you one of their customer reviews from Christopher in Texas. He would wear a sweater every day to school as a teacher, even in those hot summers, to try to hide his sweat, because during the day it would happen quite a bit. Now that he uses sweat block, he can wear any shirt without sweating, thanks to their deodorant and their sweat block wipes. They're able to fix his problem. They're very helpful for me. I use their deodorant every single day. The sweat block wipes were invented by a doctor, and they're guaranteed to work. You don't pay. They call it the Sweatblock Dry Shirt Guarantee. If Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try Sweatblock risk-free today. You can save 20% with the promo code Locked On at sweatblock.com. Sweatblock.com, promo code Locked On, also available on Amazon. Highly recommend. Check it out today. Welcome back into the Locked On Pacers podcast. Thanks for making us your first listen today. And every single day, it's always much appreciated. For your second listen, hop on over to Locked On Sports today from the games that matter the most and the stories that make you love sports. Locked On Sports today is the place to go. Go beyond the scoreboard, behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, wherever you get podcasts. Clippers, the Los Angeles Clippers, not the Lakers. Yes, the other LA team reportedly has interest in Miles Turner. I would like to plug, I wrote a story on this at si.com backslash NBA backslash Pacers that breaks down the situation in detail as well. Eric Pincus dropping this report on us. Cap guru over for Bleach Report. Used to love following his cap sheets on Basketball Insiders. One of the people that actually got me into getting into the salary cap stuff and a very uh, plugged-in reporter out there. He is killer with these details. His report, the Clippers have discussed adding Miles Turner Please keep that phrasing in mind. The Clippers have discussed adding Miles Turner. No traction has been mentioned by Pincus here. No calls, no discussions any between, with the Pacers, I should say. Anything like that. The Clippers have discussed adding Miles Turner. That wording is key, but the interest makes sense, right? Uh, the report adds that the Clippers are shopping wings, and if you look at the Clippers roster, that is why this makes sense as both a rumor to me and a general concept that would have made sense in something I thought about later, closer to the trade deadline when I had to do preview stuff. They have a ton of wings, right? Rule out Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They don't matter here. They're not getting traded. But uh, Marcus Morris, Norman Powell, Robert Covington, Nick Batum, Amir Coffey, Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard, all on this team. And then the inside, just Avicii Zubac. Right? They had Isaiah Hartenstein last year. He's with the Knicks now. Their backup center lot's been Moses Brown, who's on a two-way. Like, their roster construction sort of says, yeah, they got to pursue a center at some point this season. They can spend money out the wazoo if they trade for Turner because their owner just pays and pays and pays, which is totally fine. Good for them. They deserve that. Their fans deserve that. So I totally get this. So zooming out, if they're shopping wings and they need a big, I cannot think of a better fit than the Pacers if, 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 they can meet the asset value, which is where this gets incredibly off the rails and no longer becomes something that makes as much sense because of how the Pacers have operated in the past. The Pacers probably want someone young or picks, and the Clippers are kind of light on both of those. Thinking about what the Pacers would want on the wing, it's kind of hard since they're a building team. They have Amir Coffey, Terrence Mann, and Luke Kennard. That's the only three wings on the Clippers that are under 29. All the rest are older than that. Yeah, they're good. If the Pacers are still good, Come trade deadline time, maybe that becomes appealing. But they talked about a new era. They've talked about this being a build 
not a rebuild, a build, uh, you know, it, it makes sense they would consider age. Now, the other factor here is if the Pacers trade for a wing, maybe they don't necessarily want someone that they would have in their own core, but someone they could trade in the future. Now, they all have shorter deals, two years or less, guaranteed, except for Norm Powell. So in that, guys, basically anybody to me makes sense except Norm Powell <laughs> as the return wing if that is a requirement from the Clippers. Everyone else kind of makes sense. You know, that you you squint and go Kennard, man, coffee, whatever. They're all young and interesting. Or, you know, Covington, Batum, Marcus Morris. You could flip those guys to a contender. Like, there, there are ways this makes sense. But there has to be the assets on top of that. And the Clippers traded a bajillion firsts to the Oklahoma City Thunder to get Paul George. So they only have their 2028 and 2029 first round picks available. They cannot trade both, that's not legal. You cannot trade consecutive seasons of first round picks. They could trade one and a swap, but that's you know up to negotiation here. So either way, they only have one available first to trade and it's way out in the future. They have all their seconds except for their 2027 second rounder, which I believe the Atlanta Hawks have? I should know that. Either way, um, so they have seconds, but their only under 25-year-old players are Brandon Boston Jr. and Jason Preston. Two second-round picks from last season, Preston being a top 35 pick. Like, that's those are interesting-ish value, but the, the deal's sort of hard to construct because their asset pieces are not awesome enough that they would, you know, assume you flip the wing that you get for Turner, uh, then that whatever you get from that plus that other stuff has to equal what you feel like you could get from Turner elsewhere. That's really hard to make happen in this deal. Like, it seems like from a Pacers perspective, either Covington or Morris, whatever, you know, I think Marcus Morris has more trade value and could be flipped easier, but whatever. One of those two for salary, a 2028 first round pick and like Brandon Boston Jr., who was okay as a rookie, by the way, 6.7 points per game, played over 50 games, but either way, is that enough for Miles Turner? You know, that's, that, and I say that, I, I'm not, a big fan of making hypothetical trades like I just did right there, but the Clippers don't have a lot of wiggle room to get out of a construction more complex than that, right? That's kind of why I'm 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 okay with it in this case because it, you know you can swap out the wing, the wing maybe or add a second round or something, but it can't get much more interesting than that. So for the Pacers, they have to decide and survey the market, and if that's enough, that's enough. But to me, be, you know, because there's limited options, it's easy to construct a fake deal, but also makes it easy to see that. This is going to be hard for the Clippers to do, especially with Miles Turner playing the way he is, where he has been a double-double machine recently, absolutely balling out. He's going to have suitors if they do decide to move him. And remember, Miles Turner himself said that he understands why the Pacers have to consider that. So it's easy to construct a fake deal here. It's also super boring to do in November, but their interest makes sense, which I think is key here. But the big picture thing, for the Pacers to note is the more teams that are interested in Turner come February, the better, right? That means they can negotiate from a uh, stance of having more leverage. They can say, oh, we're going to trade for this team instead, right? That's helpful for them. So the legitimacy of this, I have no idea myself, but assuming this report is true, and I, Eric Pincus has been awesome on the contract beat, I assume this is, um, this you know, is something good for the Pacers just from their perspective of leverage. And it's it's not like that offer is, is awful. Like, it's fine, I think, the one I just fake made up. But there's not a lot of wiggle room if Miles continues to outprove this value. But more suitors, better for the Pacers. Ups his value, especially when he's playing well. Expect a lot more of these. Like, <laughs> team interested in Miles' turn. Like the Hornets, for example. Mason Plumlee is okay. Um, if they would like to get better, I'm sure they would like better players. Any team with a center injury that happens, expect more of these, I think. But remember how the Pacers operate. They would like young dudes under contract for lots of years. Because of that, Amir Coffey stands out to me a little bit when looking at 
the Clippers roster construction situation. He's young, cheap, under contract for three more seasons. But, you know, <laughs> that's all I got on this. Uh, there's not a lot of wiggle room, which is why I really dug into the potential offer because it's not like the Clippers can do much outside of that box. But we'll see how many of these continue to pop up as the season progresses. And I apologize for talking about fake trades in November, but I got a lot of questions about this, surprisingly, which is extremely strange for early November. That said, I get it. Uh, and Turner's situation leads to things like this happening. Thank you all so much for listening. If you made it this far in the show, it is very much appreciated. We'll be back tomorrow because the one-month mark of the season is here as of Friday. Technically, for the Pacers, it's Saturday, but for the NBA, it's tomorrow. So uh, Jay Rigdon's going to join us. We're going to talk about the Pacers player that has exceeded our expectations the most this year, the player that has been the farthest below their expectations this season, and then just general trends that we have found enjoyable and not so enjoyable from this Pacers team throughout the first month, so you won't want to miss that. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you tomorrow.